At the turn of the 20th century, the early 1900s, the Protestant Church decided to to get away from the Ten Moral Laws of God, which is the Ten Commandments, which is the schoolmaster showing us that we've broken God's law, we're sinners, and that we need a Savior. But to see the Ten Moral Laws of the Ten Commandments of God makes it personal to a sinner, to a person. Because if you go through just taking a few of the commandments, we all have lied. That makes us a liar. We all have thought in our hearts on a woman or a person with lust, which Jesus says, then you've committed adultery in your heart. So that makes you an adulteress. We've taken the Lord's name in vain or used God's, uh, God's name as a cuss word. So that's blasphemy. Plus, we all have made God in our own image, which means we created a God that works for us and accepts our weaknesses and sins. And we just go along doing the same stuff, thinking we're fine. That's called idolatry. You see, so we've already broken the commandments, but it makes it personal. So God says, I'm going to judge you on judgment day by these laws. And if you haven't repented, repentance is different than saying, well, Lord, come in my heart or I'll receive you as Lord and Savior. No, we must repent first. We must truly repent. With fear and trembling, as God's word says. You see, God is not a buddy or a pal, which that's the going thing of today's church. God wants to be your friend and your buddy. No, God is a holy God. A holy God. And when you truly repent, that means turning away from our sins. That means that we must follow what God says. And so this is what we have to look at. Because Jesus says in John chapter 14, verses 23 to 24, here's what Jesus says. Jesus asked and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And verse 24 says, He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine but the fathers who sent me. Do you ever wonder why the church is failing so much today? Then they've just gone in every kind of way and trying everything possible because they've got away from God's word. You see, if we haven't truly repented of our sins with, with mourning as if somebody died because our old man should be dead, we should be, should be in tears and thanking God that we have now crossed over from on our way to hell because we've broken God's moral law but now by by truly repenting and putting on Christ see putting on Christ putting on Christ means we're not going to change from doing what a lot of people claiming to be Christians because they don't have the knowledge you see Hosea 4 6 says my people my people are destroyed from the lack of knowledge, and it's the lack of knowledge in the law. 
So, so we're being distorted, we're being fooled. So therefore, we need to come in true repentance, in fear and trembling, because we serve a holy God. He's not our buddy or a pal. We're supposed to do what he says, not calling on him and says, Lord, I want this, I want No, uh-uh. It's how can I be better, because let me tell you something. Once you put on Christ, your road is not going to be smooth. It's going to be hard. You will go through persecution, tribulations. Everything's going to come at you. Now, in America, it hasn't been that bad, but it's starting to. And around the world, did you know that one Christian dies every, I believe it's every minute to five minutes a Christian dies around the world? Did you know in the 20th century that more Christians died than ever before? And it continues now in the 21st century in which we're living. So this is what we need to consider. You see, sin must become personal. Look what one of the great preachers from the 19th centuries or the late 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, said. He has two quotes here. Listen to it carefully. The first one is, Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher from back then, says, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Another is what he says, if we're not concerned about people dying and going to hell, then that means something's wrong or we're fake. If you don't have any concern for people dying, you're just going about your life like it's okay and everything you do is okay because I have Jesus and Jesus will forgive me for all my sins and that's not the gospel. Can Jesus forgive you every sins? Of course he can. But when we take it with no value and, and there's no repentance and we're still lying and cheating and, and just taking and i'm not talking about major things if you're taking stuff from work little things whatever no matter what it is you're stealing that means you're a thief if you're telling somebody a little white lie it's called lying and you're a liar and if you're laughing at people taking god's name in vain or you're doing it yourself then it's called blasphemy which in the jewish law uh, especially back in the older days, uh, the Bible days, that was considered to that anybody that would do that we would be put to death. See, the problem with the new church today is there's more motivational speaking, but we need to get down to where we need to go back to how it was, how Jesus preached. You see, when Jesus met the young witch ruler who came and he says, um, he says, Lord, you know, what must I do to have heaven? And the first thing he did was went to the law. He says, well, have you kept the commandments? And he goes down and he says, yes, I've done all this from my youth. And he knew better. So then he goes to him because he knew where his heart was. His heart was done things, material stuff. And he says, sell all you have, come and follow me. And he walked away with his head down. Because, see, God knew his heart. So he went straight. First he gave... First, he gave the disease, which is sin. And the commandments show we're, that we're sinners because we don't keep the commandments. Then he said, here's, here's the cure. This is what you must do. But he didn't want the cure. He walked away. He wanted to continue in what he was doing. Then there's another place in the, the New Testament where it says there was a, there was a tax collector. And there was a Pharisee who was a Jewish leader at the time. And they went 
to uh, the temple to pray. And the Jewish leader said, Lord, I'm glad that I'm not like this sinner next to me and I've kept the commandments and I've done this, that, and the other thing. But the tax collector knew he was a sinner and was had a contrite spirit. Contrite means sorrowful, truly sorrowful in repentance of being truly sorry, knowing I'm not worthy. And he went with a humble heart and says, Lord, I'm not worthy. And what did Jesus say about that? He said that truly this man, the tax collector, went away righteous, forgiven. Because he came with a contrite spirit, not with a haughty spirit of thinking, well, I'm so good and all that. No, uh-uh. Mm -mm. And getting back to... Uh, the great preacher from the 19th century, late 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, his second quote was this. Now, this is Charles Spurgeon saying this, not me, Charles Spurgeon. And it says, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. And that's from Charles Spurgeon. In other words, he was saying, how can we say we know God if we have no concern for all those around us who do not know they're even sinners on their way to hell if their heart was to stop? If some tragic thing happened to them, car wreck, slip and fall, whatever. And so there's millions of ways to die every day. And we could die at every moment. Tomorrow's not promised. This is what I'm speaking about. Just like uh, with the story of uh, David when he took Bathsheba for himself and had her husband, who was a captain in uh, uh, the uh, Israel's army, and then he wrote a letter and sent it on to the leaders of the battle. He had decided to stay behind, and that's when all the sin took place because he had saw Bathsheba because their places, they would do things on the roof. You know, they had like an open area, and she happened to be taking a, a bath there. So, assumably, she had no clothes on. And King David happened to see her, and she's very beautiful. And then he found himself want, wanting her in sin. Or, as we talked about, um, lusting after her in his heart. Even though he had, what, a couple of wives or so? But yeah, he wanted that, so then he sent letters to the the military leaders in that was in um, of the battles and said, put him up front and then the, let the army go behind and let him get killed. So so then he's also he's also guilty of murder. So when all that happened, and then he took his wife, but then he's dead now, so he took Bathsheba as his wife because she was beautiful. And so God was not pleased with that, and he sent Nathan the prophet, who was the prophet at that time, for the kingdom of Israel and for the king, which was David. And so David, he didn't come saying, God has a wonderful plan for your life, but you got some, some stuff in your life just making it where you can't. No, he didn't do that because he feared man. He did what God told him to do. 
But he didn't come with fire and brimstone. He came with love, but firmness. And here's what he said. And he told this story or an antidote to David. Because David was the shepherd, so he told a David antidote story. Anyway, so, so he goes and he says, David, there's a very poor man that has a sheep one sheep and he loves that sheep so much that little lamb and he treats it like his own daughter and he loved that lamb every day a rich man came down and had thousands of sheep lambs and he seen that one so he took that one killed it and ate it and so now the the poor man has nothing and he's lost his beloved sheep well david said according to the jewish law he says, that man must pay. That man will pay four times and then he will be put to death. And so after David was all upset about it, then Nathan the prophet said, he said, David, you are that man. And instantly David knew he had sinned and it was revealed to him. And he says, I have sinned before, before God. And then Nathan says, because of his the contrite spirit, he says, God will show you mercy and you will not die. But he's, he said that your, your son will die. The, the newborn baby that was coming will die. You see, so this is, this is what the law does. The law points to our sins. First, you must give the disease, which, which as you go through the law... God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, it points to our sin and makes it personal. Then you go to the cure, which is God has sent a cure. When Jesus went on the cross, and he said an interesting word, he said, it is finished. You see, he paid the price for us. And when he said it is finished, because God is a just God... He has to go by the law. And so the law was paid in full when Jesus went on the cross and said it was finished. He was legally, now God the Father was legally able to forgive us our sons in Christ, in his son Jesus. So when you, when a person who realizes they're a sinner with a contrite spirit and they turn to God in repentance... Now God can come and forgive him, or, or it's like if we're standing in front of a judge. Then the judge says, well, you've broken this law and you're here. But, and the, uh, the fine is $10,000 for what you did. But somebody has come and paid your fine, you're free to go. That's what Jesus did, you see. It's kind of like if we're driving and everything's great and the... Uh, the flow of the traffic is smooth, but we realize we're going 70 miles an hour and, and the speed limits, um, say the speed limit is uh, 55. So we're going about 15 miles over. Well, we're fine. Everybody's doing it. We're going along with the flow. All of a sudden, red lights pop up and they follow them behind us. And then you know, oh no, I'm going 50 miles over the speed limit. There's more money coming out of my wallet. And you have all these red lights and our heart starts racing. And then we get pulled over. Well, we we can't say, well, I was going with the flow of traffic. Everybody else is doing it. Look at it. No. 
It's personal. We broke the law. Now it's personal to us. We're going to have to pay that fine. Get a ticket and pay that fine. It's the same way God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, shows us we've broken the law and we're unable to keep the law. But the fine has been paid by Jesus Christ. But we must go in that order. First, the disease, the God's moral law that we've broken. Then the cure, which is Jesus Christ who went on the cross and paid our fine. He was brutally beat for our transgressions. And you see the word transgression means sin. See the word transgression... means that we have broken a law. Let that think, sink in for a minute. Think on the word transgression. So anyways, now, here's the thing. Let's go to let's go to Romans chapter 3 verse 19 and here's what it says. Now we know that whatever the law says it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You see when we present the moral law first and here's what I mean. You go to a person and you go to him and says, "Do you think you're a good person?" Most people say yes. And they say, do you think you're good enough to go to heaven? They say, we, I think so. And then you go down the line and he says, then you say, have you ever lied? Even a small thing, no matter how long ago, it doesn't matter. Yes. So what do you call a person that lies? And then you have to help them to, to get, to say with their own mouth, a liar. And have you ever stolen anything? Even... When you were young, and you go, they'll go, yeah, and say, well, what do you call somebody that who steals a thief? And then you go, have you ever took the Lord? Have you ever used God's name as a cuss word? And they'll go, oh yeah. And then you go, well, that's blasphemy, which is worthy of death according to the Old Testament. And then you go, have you ever looked at a woman or man with lust? And they go, oh yeah, man, yeah. Well, according to Jesus, Jesus says if you even look upon a woman, then, you, then you're guilty of being an adulterer at heart. So then you say, well, I haven't judged you, but, but according to the law, you said that you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer at heart. And all of a sudden you can see him thinking about that because now it's become personal. Just like when... The red light came, and you knew you did wrong, and you knew you broke the law, and it made it personal. And then you say, do you think you're, you'll still go to heaven if, if you're judged by God's moral law and you've broken these laws? Do you think you go to heaven or hell? Some people say, I'm still going to heaven. Some people say, I'm going to hell. And then you say, well, if you've broken God's moral law, and according to the law, if God judges you by this law, 
you have to go to hell because he's a righteous, he's a good and righteous judge. But God gave us a way out. And then you explain, see, Jesus went on the cross and said, it is finished. That means legally now, God through Christ can forgive us of our sins if we repent, turn from our sins with a contrite spirit, not a haughty one. A contrite spirit is just like, what I'm talking about contrite spirit is, it's just like there was a little boy and his father had in a cabinet this uh, beautiful vase. And it was just a glass vase. And he said, oh, look at that. Wow. I wonder why he's got it in here for it. His dad says it's a very expensive vase. So one day he's at the kid's at the store and he sees a vase that looks the same for five bucks. He says, wow, that's a cheap vase. So then he figures, well, why did, why did my daddy lie to me? Because he said the vase was expensive. This is only five bucks. I got five bucks in my, my savings account. And so one day he says, I'm going to look at this, this vase even better. So he, he goes in the glass case and opens it up and gets it out. And he's looking at it and he can't tell the difference. And he hears his dad coming home. The car pulls up shuts so he's he's eager to put it back in and as he's putting it back in the top of it the top lip hits the cabinet and shatters then he goes oh no i broke it and he says oh but i got five dollars i can replace it no problem so his fear goes away daddy comes in and then he says son what happened and his dad is distraught he said oh don't worry dad they got one at the, the grocery store just like it i got five bucks i'll take care of it and he says, no, you don't understand, son. That vase was antique. That vase was worth $25,000. All of a sudden, the son starts crying and realizing he broke the law. And he's so sorry for it. You know, he can't, he can't pay for it. He has no way out. And he says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But because of his contrite spirit, that means being extremely sorry and repentive. His dad says, don't worry. Puts his, dad puts his hand on the, the, the child's shoulder and says, don't worry. I'll take the last that I have and get another one because it's so precious. And all of a sudden, his son looks up and like, wow, what a heavy price you're paying for me. And it's the same thing. Most people look at it with nothing. But what they, once they understand the importance and the value of God's moral law, it's the same thing as the vase. It's worth more than everything because it's eternal it's eternal life there's a book out called uh 23 minutes in hell where bill wise um he had a vision he fell on for it. it was 23 minutes at last and it was horrific when he actually went through hell as a person that didn't know christ and he knew christ but he didn't know christ but God wanted him to experience how it would be. And he said, there's no knowledge of God. There's no knowledge of this. You're just in torment. And there's no time. So it's just a continuous element. He said, the torment is a million times more than we can imagine. And he said, the, the air is so thick and disgusting and sulfur, it's hard to breathe. And then at the same time, uh, there's horrific looking creatures in there that are Giving the torment, and you're, and there's people burning and hollering and screaming. And he felt it also in there, and it's like you have no. He said the hopelessness is a a, a million times or so many, so much you couldn't even think of how hopelessness it is. And it's a horrid place to be. And when he awoke from that, 23 minutes later, 
and he said he he would screaming for at least a good hour or 20 minutes before he could calm down and he said there's no water and you're always thirsty and he asked his wife for two glasses of water full glasses that he drank because he was so thirsty being in that place but you see god allowed him to experience that so he could tell others and people don't but many people have gone through that similar things you know and you have some people that don't believe it but that's that's how bad hell is we just don't understand but you need to get that the 23 minutes of hell book you get a paperback you can go to amazon thrift books whatever but you need to get it it is fantastic and they have the dvd or you can watch it on youtube actually it's called 23 minutes in, 23 minutes in hell by bill wise fantastic but this is what hell is and we need to keep our eyes on that you know and remember remember this people say oh people got a good heart nope jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who could know it so no man's heart's wicked you know the definition of sin is uh by marion webster an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law so just know that that we are sinners and we're needing a savior james chapter 4 verse 6 says this but he gives more grace therefore he says god resists the proud but gives grace to the humble so don't be one in false conversion that receives the new way of jesus is going to be my best buddy and everything and then when life hits him they go away a bitter inoculated backslider instead hear the true way which is we have broken god's law and worthy of hell in the judgment but if we put on christ and start doing what the bible says that means to be doers of the word and not hearers only see that's another thing that we hear all the time no bible says be doers of the word and not hearers only we must do the word of god and not just hear but be doers of the word of god are you a doer of the word of god the bible second timothy chapter 2 verse 15 says study to show thyself approved a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth so if you're serving God, you should be in the Word, going in there and um, learning from the Word of God, His Word, the Bible. You know why the church has so many problems? Because most people don't read the Bible every day without fail. When you uh, when doing pa pastoral counseling, if you ask this question, the first question should be asked. Do you especially if they're a professing christian do you read the bible every day without fail and you heard well sometimes you know every other day whatever there's no you don't you're not hearing the question the question is do you read the bible every day without fail and finally they say no you know either every other day or whatever it says okay so when you eat you skip meals and you eat every other day and oh no 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 I feel, of course so you'll feed your body but you won't feed your soul then you wonder why you have problems because you're not doing the word of god you know are you living as christ said to live and that would solve all the problems 
it's not difficult. People make it complicated because they don't want to do God's word. So if you've listened to this, if you've broken any of the commandments, that means have you stole? Have you lied? Have you took God's name in vain? Have you looked on the person with lust? Then you need to repent of your sins. Even if you gave your life to Jesus, if you know you've done this and you're not following God's word, you've not been doing God's word, you may be guilty of the judgment in hell. Not saying that this is not a works-based faith. No, you can't work your way there. But we are... When we become a Christian, work should follow, and it's not been following, then you need to come to Christ in a contrite spirit and repent and start doing it the right way. So, whoever's listening, if you've understood you've broken God's law and you need a Savior so you don't go to hell, you see it's like this. Let me make it real clear. It's kind of like two men taking the flight. Okay, and one person told, "Here, put on this parachute. It will Im improve your flight and make you feel better." And he does. He sits down, and all the passengers are making fun of him. And he's uncomfortable. He can't sit up straight. And he says, "I can't stand wearing this anymore. I'm taking this off, throwing it on the ground. Nobody's gonna be a long time to somebody ever put that back on me again." The second passenger, you tell him, "Look, uh, the uh, the tail section." The tail section of this airplane broke it off. Here's the parachute. Put it on. You're going to have to jump at 25,000 feet. It's going to save your life. He's going to sit down. He don't care what anybody says, how uncomfortable it is. It doesn't matter. He put it on. He's put on the parachute to save his life for the jump to come. It's the same thing. When you put on Christ as a parachute, you don't care about the tribulations, the uh what people say or the uncomfortable of it or whatever, it doesn't matter. You put it on to save yourself from hell for the coming judgment. If you have Christ on, you've repented of your sins, you, you'll be going to heaven and not hell. If you want to put on Christ as a parachute, then get right with God. Repent before the Lord. Say, God, I repent of my sins right now. I turn from my way. I repent of everything. And I put on Jesus. Jesus, I I take you on. I, I, I ask you to come into my heart and my mind. Save me from hell, Lord. Save me from hell. And help me. And let me from this day forward read your Bible every day. Every day without fail. And do what your, what your word says. In Jesus' name, thank you for saving my wretched soul. And forgive me of all my sins. Now if you mean this with a contrite spirit. And holiness and repentance. And with, with fear and trembling. God is not your buddy and pal. God is a holy God. He's not your buddy and your pal and your best friend. No. He loves you. Yes he loves you as a best friend. But he's a holy God that loves you. But you must do his will. He's also a holy righteous God. That's going to judge. So let us. Do what we need to be doing and not be like everybody else doing whatever because there's no fear. If you've done that, continue doing it. See God. Read the Bible. Read the scriptures. If you haven't read before, start in the book of John in the New Testament. That'll give you a foundation. Read the New Testament and to start going through the Old Testament also. What I do is read um, uh, 
start in one book in the Old Testament and start reading from there and read Psalms and Proverbs and then I read in the New Testament. That way you get in the whole basis of it, but you do what works for you. So if you've done this, I pray for you right now. In fact, let me pray for you. My Heavenly Father, those that have realized they have sinned, and Lord, if, they're, if they have not known you, then continually convict their heart that they will, they will put Jesus on and be thankful for being saved by you and continually guide and direct them with the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus says and, and not just be hearers only. And for those that have been saved or have confessed just know that 90% of the church 90% of people in the churches are not saved they think they are but if you notice there's no they're pretty much doing all kind of lackadaisical stuff and not doing it most of them don't even realize and 10% are actually truly saved and doing the will of God so just know the people in your church that are not saved but for those for you that are um you know been a christian then if you haven't been doing these things you need to no you don't need to you must works must follow our salvation and we must be obedient to christ not just doing whatever it doesn't work that way it's not it's not a faith it's not a faith on works it's putting jesus alone on but works must follow there people we should be different from what we used to be so praise the lord god bless you till next time